Paul is introducing this letter, he lets the people know what he's praying for on their behalf. And this is found in your program. He says, this is my prayer for you, that your love might abound more and more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you might be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ and be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. This is God's word for God's people this morning. So one of the things I've noticed over the years as I talk to people and they're in the midst of a difficult issue or a conflict and they're having to make a difficult choice or they're facing a difficult choice or a painful choice, sometimes when you're, you're bringing them to the edge of that painful choice, one of the things they'll say is, well, but I love this or but I love them. And that is intended to be the end of the argument. Because if you love someone or you love something, then no negotiation or no evaluation of that relationship can possibly can possibly be permitted. Because you know, in our in our day we have a saying that love should conquer all, or you know, as the Beatles said, love is all that you need. Love love itself is is the highest end and the highest goal, but as someone pointed out, the Beatles sang, all you need is love, and then they broke up. So it makes, <laughs> makes you wonder. But, uh, but that, that, that's part and parcel to our age. It didn't used to be the way people think. Some people describe ours as, a, as the age of romantic individualism, where my feeling of love in my heart and my impulse of love, my, my, my passion for love is the ultimate thing and everything else is subordinate to that. And, there, and I think this is a result in the modern age as we've let, let go of a transcendent spiritual reality, we've let go of, of a transcendent moral reality or transcendent values. The one thing that's left is the transcendent feeling that we feel when we find ourselves falling into love. Perhaps the hero or the archetype of this is Romeo. You guys remember Romeo and Juliet from uh, high school uh, English class? Uh, you know, Romeo and Juliet, it's, it's, it's that play that Shakespeare put together about two young people who fall in love and they've got everything going against them because their families, the Montagues and the Capulets, have been feuding for for generations. Nobody even remembers why, but because of that, it's absolutely forbidden that these two be together and their, their relationship is completely impractical and impossible for them to follow through on, but that doesn't matter because they're in love with each other and so everything else is completely irrelevant. And so if you remember the story, Romeo gets into a fight with someone about this and has to go into exile to avoid facing the rap for a murder. And Juliet decides, when, when she finds out that, that he's gone into exile, she decides she's going to go into exile too, but she's going to do it by faking her own death. And so she fakes her own death, and Romeo comes back from exile, sneaks back into town to try to, uh, to, to collect her and bring her with him. And he finds out all he hears is the obituary and that, that she is that she is passed. And so Romeo 
falls on his sword and dies, and then Juliet wakes up and realizes that the, the one man she loved in the world has died, and so then she commits suicide as well. So, so Shakespeare, in his wisdom, gives us this picture of, of, uh, of, of this young couple that's fallen in, in that, that, that exemplifies romantic love, but then he shows us that sometimes these things don't work out that well. And uh, the, the prince, that throughout the play, the, the, the narrator of Romeo and Juliet is a prince, and his last words, and the last words of the play are, are this, never was there a tale of more woe than this of Juliet and her Romeo. And so it just reminds us, that play reminds us as intoxicating as com and compelling as falling in love can be sometimes in some relationships. When it goes off the rail, it goes from a fairy tale to a tragedy, a tale of woe. And this is, this is uh, something that the Bible talks quite a bit about because the Bible makes it clear that love is something of a supernatural force. We need to love one another because love comes from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God because love is this powerful force that, that God has given us. But here Paul says, well, love has to be operated within the parameters that God has set up. And so he prays for these Philippians who apparently were a very loving bunch and he says, I pray that your love would abound in knowledge and in depth of insight and discernment so you might discern what is best to be pure and blameless till the day of Christ. Because as much as love is this supernatural force, it's not natural for us to to uh, contain that force within the bounds that God has provided. Naturally, our passions will take us for a ride, and who knows where they go. Hopefully not where Romeo and Juliet ended up. But God's grace and God's wisdom and God's power can, can make our lives, I hope, more of a fairy tale and less of a tragedy. So I want to look at these three things that Paul prays for for to, to bound, boundary our love, knowledge, depth of insight, and discernment. And I think knowledge goes to how we love and really what love is, in a sense. Let me ask you, have any of you ever had a crush on somebody? <laughs> Nobody's, okay. There, there, there's, a, there's a couple brave souls and the rest of you guys are liars. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, what, what, what happens when we, we fall into a, a crush on somebody? What, what it is, is basically you actually don't know somebody. You don't have a relationship with them. You, you've just seen a picture of them online or something. And based on that picture, you, you, you assume all of these kinds of things about them and assume that they're going to be able to make you feel a certain way. And, you know, sometimes we, we, we are prone to becoming absolutely obsessed with someone we've got absolutely no relationship with because... It's a fantasy projection. It has nothing to do with that actual person. And, you know, so ultimately when you fall, find yourself falling into, a crush, falling into a crush on somebody, it's not about that person at all. It's all about you and, and your feelings and your uh, confused emotions or, or whatever else is going on in, in your personal life. But when Paul says, I pray that your love would abound in knowledge, one of the things he's, 
he's saying is that true love is based fundamentally on knowing and giving, not fantasy and using. And the problem when you have a crush is you fall in love with a fantasy, but then if by some miracle you actually meet that person, you actually get to know that person, typically the reality falls far, far short of the fantasy, and you're like, whoops, what was I, what was I even thinking? And you know, I think that's a problem that a lot of us go, th- go through as we work through life is, is our, our fear in life is that the only reason people like us and the only people, reason people are, want us around and the only peop- reason people want a relationship with us is because they don't really know us yet. But if they did actually get to know us, then, then we've got to wonder, would they, would they actually want to, be, uh, want, want to be with us? But true love... The Bible, the Bible mixes really knowing someone with really loving someone. The two go hand in hand because to know somebody and to love somebody is kind of the, the, same, the same thing. I think in a sense, this is the point of marriage. I heard someone else describe marriage this way. This is not original with me. Let me just make this clear. But someone said so marriage is basically this. And uh, afterwards you can discuss this among yourselves and see if you think this is true. But, uh, but you know, when you get married, you basically handcuff yourself to someone and say, I'm really going to get to know you, and you're really going to get to know me, and no matter how bad it gets and no matter how difficult it gets, we're going to stay together and we're going to work this out. And, uh, but but that's, that's the essence of it because you're saying, I really do want to get to know you, but the only way we can really get to know each other is if we've really made a lifelong commitment to each other because we're all that complicated that it's going to take a while and we're all that flawed that it's going to be scary unless we all have that commitment one to another. Because the deepest longing, the longing in the heart of all of us is to be fully known and yet fully loved. To get to the place where someone knows everything about us, including our flaws, including our failures, including our fears, and yet at the same time, that person is completely accepting of us. And that's a good summary of the gospel in a way. What does it mean to know God and his grace? It's that God knows everything about us, sees right through us, and loves us completely at the same time, in the same way relationship. That's what it means to be loved by God according through the gospel, is that God sees us, God knows us. Nothing about us is hidden from us, from him, and yet in that he loves us. Remember the story of Jesus meeting the woman at the well in uh, John chapter 4. Some of you might remember it, but, but Jesus meets this woman, and they start having a theological conversation, and Jesus thinks this woman is actually trying to avoid avoid revealing herself to him. So Jesus says to the woman, remember what he says? She's she's talking about Jerusalem and the temple and all this kind of stuff and uh, trying to be real intellectual with him. And Jesus says, you know, go call your husband and come back to me. And she's like, oh, I don't have a husband, actually. And Jesus says, "Uh, the truth is, you've had five husbands and the person you're with right now is not your husband. So what you've said is quite true. And and, uh, and then this, this woman leaves, and she goes to her friends. And remember what she says to her friends? She's like, come meet a man who told me everything I have ever done. 
Jesus could completely expose this person. Jesus could completely see through this person. And that's what compelled her to go toward him. That's what compelled her to want to have a relationship with him. That's what compelled her because she found in Jesus someone who knew everything about her, someone who, who she didn't have to hide from, and yet someone who completely accepted her. That, and that was what she had never known in her whole life. But that's what we all want. That's what we're all looking for, to, be, to find relationships, to find a place where we're completely known and completely loved at the same time. Love abounds with knowledge. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 puts it this way. Ultimately, when we get to heaven, we stand before God, we will know fully, even as we are fully known. We will, and that's, that's the essence of what it means to be, to be loved by God. So love has to abound, first of all, with knowledge, and that's how we love, and then and then it says love must abound in knowledge and insight. And that's a matter of who you love. It's striking to me that the greatest commandments, who knows the greatest commandments according to Jesus? Anyone here? Who knows them? John, what, what are the greatest commandments? So John, John knows this stuff. <laughs> yes, to love God above all else and to love your neighbor as yourself. That, that should pop up on the screen now. If, it, if it's there, maybe, maybe not. But, uh, but you know, it, it's interesting when, when, when Jesus is, is boiling down the, the highest ethical duties he, that we have, he says it's not so much in terms of following rules about doing this or doing that, but it's the, the, the highest law is the law of love, to love God and to love our neighbors. And then if you're familiar with the New Testament, as you go through the New Testament, there's all other kinds of other commands to love, to love one another, to, to love our wives, to, even to love our enemies, to, uh, you, you know, the, the command of love is something that pervades the, the whole New Testament. So what the Bible makes clear is that love is not something we fall into. If God commands us to love, that means that at its essence, it's an act of the will. And if we find it difficult, it's because there's something wrong with us that keeps us from being able to follow through on the law of God. You know, the romantic ideal is that love is this feeling that just takes over us and it's like, it's like being dropped in a river and we just float down it and we can't control it. The, the biblical ideal is that love is a commitment we make and an action we take and a decision that we follow through on in life. And, you know, I think the difference is, is in, the, in the romantic ideal, our, this, this feeling compels action, but in the biblical ideal, actions, acting, deciding to be loving, develops those feelings. And I think the, the bit best picture of this dynamic is motherhood in some ways, because think about what happens when you, when, when someone becomes a mother, they bring this little ball of humanity into their life, weighs about seven or eight pounds, and then what happens? In the middle of the night, this little person yells at you and screams at you and demands to be fed, and you're like, okay, I gotta get up and feed the baby. I mean, what would happen if your husband yelled at you in the middle of the night and demanded to be fed? It probably wouldn't work out, but, but somehow, <laughs> Not suggesting that, but, but some, <laughs> some, somehow as, as this, this little, little person comes into your life and makes all these demands of you and turns your life upside down and reorders everything, what happens to mothers? They just 
somehow they, they grow in love. And the more the child demands, the more demanding the child is, somehow the more the mother falls into maternal love for that person. And it's, and it's because of the mother's service and the mother's sacrifice. This, this child, you know, first, you know, the relationship starts with a near-death experience when the baby's born, and then it just continues to, to uh, cycle through those experiences as the baby gives you drama for the next 21 or 30-something years. Uh, but, uh, but, but through all that, somehow a mother's love grows towards the child. And, that, and that's, that's, that's why our race has survived. You know, that's why all of us are here in, in some sense. Because, you know, here, here's the, the dynamic of love that I've observed from, from working with people is when you decide you're going to act loving towards someone, then the feelings come as a result. If you act loving and if you show love towards someone, and then, then you'll start to feel love toward them. If you, if you give to people, you'll start to feel charity for them. If you invest to peop in people and commit to people, you'll start to feel devoted to them. That's the way our feelings work. That's the way, the, the way God has wired us. And so often we think, well, if I do things for people, then they'll, they'll appreciate it and they'll be committed to me. But it actually, it works the opposite way. As you do things for people, you get committed to them. They don't necessarily commit themselves to you. Uh, you. You get attached to them. They don't necessarily get attached to you. And, you know, I've seen this over and over again. When you, when you treat someone with contempt, you feel contempt for them. When you treat someone with love, you start to feel more and more love for them. When you betray and abuse someone, you start feeling even more resentment towards that person. But when you commit yourself and serve someone, you start feeling more and more of an affection for that person, regardless in some ways of how they're treating you. Because see, love is that commitment to treat someone a certain way, to do things for, for someone, and then the feelings follow. Now there's an important picture of the gospel in that because how is it that we know that God loves us how is it that we can be assured of God's commitment to us we look to the cross we look to the sacrifice of Christ we look to to what God has done for us and that can assure us whether we're feeling it or not at the time that God is devoted to us that God is committed to us that and it's not because of what we've done for him it's because of what he's done for us. And that's what the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus is all about, uh, all about for us. So the Christian gospel is we know God is, loves us, not because of what we've done for God, but because we look at what he has done for us and we rest in that. So Paul prays that we might that our love would abound in knowledge and depth of insight. And then he says, through this, we might be able to discern what is best. And that goes to why we love or how we direct our love. You know, in our culture, if, if you love something, it's the end of the argument. Like I say so often, when you're dealing with people who have problems or you're dealing with, 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 with family problems or relationship problems, people want to say, well, I love this person or I love this thing. And, that, and once they, they declare that, they expect that to be the end of the argument. But one of the things that the Bible makes clear is a big part of the issue that all of us have is that we love the wrong things, that our loves are disordered. 
And, uh, and part of, of loving with discernment is recognizing that there's right and wrong, there's good and bad, there's well-ordered love and, and there's disordered loves. Uh, and the, that's the great danger that all of us with our, our hearts that are like stray cats, all of us feel that from time to time. Paul describes in 1 Timothy 3 what the last days will be like, and he says, he says this, but know this, there will be hard times to come in the last days, for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, without love for what is good, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. He says the mark of the last days, the mark of the decline of humanity is not going to be necessarily that people no longer love, but that everybody is loving the wrong things, and that's going to destroy everything around us. And that's, that's what you see so much, I, I, what, what in my experience I've seen so much in people as they have problems in their life. It's a, a misplaced love, a misdirected love that starts to destroy our lives. And, and at the extremes, the two, the two pictures of this are, are uh, our, our substance abuse and codependent relationships. Because sometimes people get, get, get addicted to a process, get addicted to a feeling, get addicted to a, a drug, and, uh, and it's something that you use to help you let go of the difficult realities and the difficult things that you, you know. And you know, sometimes it's a dangerous thing like uh, alcohol or drugs. Sometimes it's a, it's a good thing or a gift that we just start abusing, like like work or, or food or exercise or even computer games, when we just start using something to, uh, as, as our escape. And we, get, we, we kind of fall, get attached to that particular process or that particular chemical, that particular thing. And, you know, it's, it's a matter of the heart, ultimately, because our heart gets attached to that thing. In the same way, oftentimes what happens is we get a attached to a person or a relationship that is really unhealthy for us. You know, what, what we call sometimes a codependent relationship. When you continue to love somebody who is not good for you, when you continue to be attached to somebody who is self-destructive or is destructive for you. And, and so we stay connected in unhealthy relationships and you're like, well, why are you staying in this relationship that you know is so bad for you? And the answer always is, well, I love them, as if, as if that, that ends the discussion. But, you know, the dynamic is if you're dependent on someone, if you need someone to make you happy, to make your life work, then you don't really love them. You're using them. You're, you're uh, drawing sustenance from them. You know, if your relationship with someone is about what you need to get from them, not what you are able to give to them, then, then it's not really a love relationship. And so another way to look at this is you can't really love someone until or unless you first become somebody who can stand self-sufficiently on your own. The ability to freely love someone else is dependent on your ability to, to, to stand as an independent person first and foremost. And uh, you know, I think as we look at our lives, we're all prone to 
disordered loves and, uh, you know, and, and things happen in our life. Sometimes it's a work situation or a relationship situation, a family situation, or even getting tripped up or tangled up in some uh, kind of a chemical dependency situation that exposes the reality that all of us have hearts, regardless of how tough we might look on the outside and how independent we might pretend to be, all of us have hearts that are desperate to love and to be loved. And this is a powerful force that moves all of us. And the challenge is, is uh, you know, we look at, look at our, our old friend Romeo. He's both the modern ideal of what this ought to be and what this should be. And it's a story of tragedy. But, you know, I think there's one person's life who was more tragic in some ways, in many ways, than Romeo's life. And that was the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and the reason his life was tragic is he wasn't an impulsive child. Even as he went through life, he was a great man. And he came to this world with high ideals. He devoted himself to 12 guys, 12 disciples, said, I want to impart my, all, you know, all my knowledge to you, and I want to entrust the future of, uh, of the world to you. But those 12 guys abandoned him and betrayed him. He committed himself to one nation, and that one nation he came to, to rescue his people, but that one nation turned against him and turned him over and called him a traitor. He committed himself even to his Father in heaven, with whom he had had a perfect relationship for all eternity. He said, Father, if there be any other way. And the heavens were silent. And then he hung on the cross, the only begotten, beloved Son of God. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was never a more tragic love story than the story of the life of Jesus. Jesus was a victim of love. In a sense, the life of Jesus shows us the cost of love. And that's why Jesus and his life and his sacrifice is always given to us and is an example of what's involved in love. That's what, what Paul has in mind when he says in another place, husbands, love your wives even as Christ loves the church. He shows that love is a treacherous and terrifying thing for anyone who dares to fall into it. But Jesus, by the grace of God, had the power to redeem love. Jesus is Romeo redeemed in a sense because the tragedy of his, of his commitment, the tragedy of his sacrifice, the tragedy of his love led to the redemption of the whole world. And that's the hope of the gospel for you and for me is that there is a perfect love out there and it's the perfect love that was shown in Jesus and by Jesus for all of us. The, the story of the gospel is he attached himself to us and we belong to him. He chose to love us even though he knew that we would not be good for him in an essential way. The story of the gospel is he knows us completely, knows our flaws and knows our failures and he still desires to be connected to us completely. And so the gospel gives us the confidence, the work of Christ, the life of Christ gives us the confidence that as we stand before him we are fully known and fully loved even with all of our shortcomings, even with all of our failures. You know, we go through life and none of us will 
avoid the pitfalls of love. Everybody, as we go through life, will know unrequited love, misplaced love, lost love, unhealthy love, and, and, and our, our passions will lead us to places where we wish we hadn't gone. In the natural course of things, our desire for love and to be loved is going to devastate all of us in some way. But in the supernatural power of Jesus, love can make things whole. Life will break all of our hearts along the way, but there's one place where we can find wholeness, and that is as we experience God's love through his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Because what the Bible says that, is that Jesus is the hero who loved us and rescued us. He is the dashing suitor who was so devoted to us that he gave his life for us. And he's the one who invites us into his arms and to come home and to find our home with him forever and ever and ever. And so the challenge for all of us as we go through life and as we live our own tragic love stories is to look to Jesus for the ultimate redemption of all those stories and to find our hope in him. Let's pray. Heavenly 